Hi, everybody. It's John Hargrove with AESP, and welcome back to our podcasting series. Today, I am joined by, yet again, a couple of my great friends in this industry, Sarah Kanzinius and Ann Doherty, both founders and advisors of Alum Advising. Sarah and Ann, welcome to the podcast series today, and why don't you start off by talking a little bit about Alum Advising for the few people that may not have heard of your Sure, this is Sarah. I'll jump in. Uh, Alum Advising is a research and strategy consulting firm that focuses on using social and data science research methodologies to answer our industries and our clients' most pressing questions. We are a very diverse team and are very proud of that. We've brought in team members with backgrounds as varied as anthropology, economics, public health, engineering, physics, and we think having that variety of backgrounds on our team is one of the things that allows us to do really fun and interesting work. We've also invested in graphic design team, and that's something I think a little bit more unusual in our space, but we really pride ourselves as a company in creating really visual uh, reports and works for our clients. We are a boutique, uh, boutique firm by design, but we really offer holistic consulting experience for everyone, and I'll let Ann jump in with a little more about us. Sure, and I'll I'll take a moment to state the obvious. Alum is a wholly woman-owned company. Uh, when Sarah and I launched Alum, having women at the center of decision making within the company was um, really important to us, and so that's why we we wanted to keep the ownership between the two of us to really step into those leadership roles. In fact, um, we've just heard and are thrilled to announce that we're named one of the top women-owned consultancies to work for in the United States among 156 total consultancies. Um, we were named um, in the top four um, by Ivy Executive. We have offices in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, Tucson, Arizona, Portland, Oregon, Atlanta, Georgia, Boulder, California, and Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, we have our team, as Sarah mentioned, all over the United States because diversity is also important to us in terms of experience working in different regions. And um, we're really committed to building an environment that focuses on our team members and taking care of each other and our clients, as well as the planet in pursuit of advancing the energy industry. Well, let me start off by saying congratulations. Um, you know, I, I know that I've been around watching the loom grow for the last several years. I have to say, you know, really this doesn't come as any sort of surprise to me because I know the both of you and I, I know how you work, but I, I, I'm just flabbergasted. I think that is awesome. Congratulations. What are some of the things that have happened or are happening that we should all be on the watch for? That's a, a great question, John. You know, the energy industry is changing so rapidly that it's hard to make sure-footed decisions or to think effectively about strategy with so many different competitors emerging in the marketplace, market forces uh, driving decision-making in one direction and potentially in a completely oppositional direction if you look at policy. And so decision-making and responsiveness to change is really critical to the success of the industry. And there are so many things within our market that really work against us with respect to that. Um, regulation, deeply siloed departments, misaligned incentives between environmentalism, safety and revenue, for example, um, and increasingly so climate mitigation goals. And thoughtful leadership 
in lieu or excuse me, in light of all of these changes in the marketplace is really critical. You have to be able to think quickly, think creatively and make change within your organization. And we see this happening with different utilities as they're incubating models for failing fast and making fast decisions in field. They're not relying on, let's say, slow methodical evaluation processes to figure out that an investment isn't working. Instead, companies like ComEd are developing emerging technology programs where they're creating a really thoughtful pipeline of various initiatives to get into field quickly so that they can quickly vet them and either nurture them or end them depending on their success. And that's the level of sort of quick movement that we need in an environment where we're trying to tackle so many bottom lines at the same time from you know profit to climate to grid resiliency. This is that kind of swift decision making and testing is critical. How about utilities in that same vein? Can they can a utility change its stripes? Can they figure out you know different ways to serve the customer? And given what you just said, how do those two things connect together? Yeah, I'll take this one, John. You know, we've all heard the blockbuster Netflix analogy used in the utility space, but it does continue to be a great example of adaption versus extinction. You know, less than being about a delivery model, that story is about how critical it is to keep up with what customers expect. And when we think about the utility space, a lot of times Anne and I like to think about, you know, other companies that are really sort of doing customer service right and, and how they can serve as role models for utilities or help the utilities think a little bit about what they may need to do to meet the, the new expectation of customers. So there's, of course, the list of companies we all think of when we think of you know, who you might want to watch when you're thinking about exceptional customer service. So, you know, there's, there's Virgin Atlantic, which pays amazing attention to details. They do so with humility and humor. There's sort of the Zappos and Patagonias of the world who really focus on culture and values above all and have um, parlayed that into exceptional customer experience and profitability. You know, and then there are the companies that are seeking to disrupt markets by offering customers more curate, curated experiences. And, and that is really, uh, you know, the, I almost call it like the Instagram company trend, direct to consumer, very, feels very personal. Um, and, you know, customer service is changing because of those types of companies and what customers are expecting are changing because of those types of companies. You know, that said, there's also brands that are really traditional, big conglomerate brands who we've been watching that are, um, you know, taking on this new space really well. Um, one example I would call out is Marriott. And I don't know if folks have seen, it's almost hard to miss because it's everywhere, but their, their new Bonvoy um, loyalty brand. And they've been taking it to market and really trying to make this huge hotel conglomerate feel like a very curated individual experience for the customers using storytelling, um, we just read that they're they're also getting into individual home rentals to keep up with Airbnb. So there's a lot of interesting shifts of really big sort of standard um, companies 
in response to where the market is going and what customers are expected. And as non-regulated industries create customer experiences that are nimble, mobile, customized, and create agency, the customer is going to expect that from their utility too. And, you know, we've kind of been tossing this around, but the reality is that customer experience is the new brand. So, you know, can a utility change its stripes? I absolutely think they can. We're working with a number of clients who are really investing in trying to understand their customers and shift or evolve their programs or offerings to figure out how they can make a standard program feel more custom or more curated to an individual customer. But it's certainly going going to be an effort. Is it message or messenger? That's a great question. I would say that it's message, if I had to choose only between the two. But I want to say that it's recipient. And the reason I say that is because both message and messenger still foreground our experience, what we want people to hear and what we want them to know, and what and how we deliver it to them, right, the messenger. What we really need to be thinking about entirely is who we are reaching and how we are reaching them with our messages. But first and foremost, who do we want to receive the message? What do they need to receive from us in order, again, to enhance their lives and the value that we're providing to them? So uh, constantly thinking from that perspective is, is what really makes a difference in business. What's some advice that you would give somebody who's just starting out in our industry today? Uh, this is Sarah. I'll jump in on that. And I, I think I've spoken about this at AESP in the past. And it's one, it's a question I love people asking. And I love people asking this question because we are so fortunate to work in an industry that is so generous. And so my advice is always to take advantage of the generous nature of this industry. It is really unique and um, organizations like AESP provide such an opportunity to create a network that will support you in the future. And I cannot, I don't even know how to say well enough how much my professional network has been key to the success of both both myself and Illum as a company. And I really believe the generosity of this industry is a unique tool or a unique asset for anyone starting out and leveraging it is critical. You know, and as you grow professionally, I, I hope our industry stays this way. So I always ask people to be sure to give that generosity back to those coming in after you. Because remembering that moment when you first walked into a big conference room or conference hall where there were hundreds of people and and sort of being a little bit afraid to walk up to somebody and introduce yourself and then finding that in this space people were so excited and willing to talk to you those connections both giving and receiving are vital to our industry and really make uh, work so much more fulfilling so that my advice is is leverage the generous nature of the industry talk to people make connections and give back you know who are your mentors in this industry and talk about how important mentors are but I think mentors are critically important um, that said I think we tend to think of mentors as all-knowing people singular people who guide our vision 
and help move us forward as though um, we're apprenticing under a single person that develops our path. And I think of mentorship as a, a series of interactions, meaningful interactions with people who are generous with you, as um, Sarah pointed out, our industry is so generous and who push you and consult and guide you. And so when I think about who's mentored me, I often come back to people in my life who are unexpected mentors in many ways. Um, so for example, if we're talking about the industry specifically, when I entered the industry, I started working for a woman, Jen Mitchell Jackson, who now works with, has a company with Barry Sutter, another person I would name, uh, Grounded Research. And we worked in the California office at the time for Opinion Dynamics. And Jen pushed me more than any supervisor I had had before toward uh, excellence and thinking critically about my deliverables and the presentment of the information that I was giving to my clients. And she pushed me harder than any boss I had ever had before, but it was so important that she did because she helped me learn the breadth of my capabilities and to go beyond being, you know, but just the smart one in the room to being even better, you know, um, and that is like an intention that you can't um, recreate easily. And that, that was invaluable for me. And similarly, Mary was very instrumental in just helping me think through the constituent parts of doing research well, really slowing down in that push and to think about how we put one foot in front of the next procedurally so that we can be cost effective in the way that we deliver our work. Because a lot of times it just comes back to the basics in that way. And she was incredible. Um, but I would also say um, the person who's been the biggest touchstone for me is um, Linda Shuck. And Linda Shuck is the founder of, um, one of the founders of um, the Behavior, Energy, and Climate Change Conference that I know AESP has um, collaborated with in the past. And Linda has served almost more like a friend and personal mentor to me. She's the person I call and will go on two-hour walks with just to talk about what it means to be a working mom and a parent in this space, to um, have dreams and ambitions that um, are about my work, but also beyond my work. And she reflects back to me what it means to live a whole life, a really full life, and not just a working life. And that, um, especially as an entrepreneur, is a really important thing to have somebody reflect back to you. Because in reality, we're, we're doing this for something bigger than the work itself. Yeah, I, I would, I'd love to answer this question too. So I'll jump in and say, echoing what Anne said, I, I do think that mentors or, or people at different points in your career provide you different guidance and different um, support. The list of people who've been part of that group for me is really long. I've talked about a number of people in the past through different AESP topics, but I always go back to Janet Brandt, who was my first boss in this industry. She's the person who hired me. And the reason she was such an important mentor was because she gave me a lot of room to sort of fly and try things, but was solidly there to support me if something went wrong or if I, you know, started to question myself or if I needed help. 
And that was so important for me in terms of getting my career going and feeling like bold and brave enough to get out there and try new things, knowing I had a boss behind me who was solidly there and going to support me in success and failures if they happened. And that having that type of person early in my career was really important. You know, today, having other entrepreneurs in that circle for me has been really important. And I'm really lucky to be surrounded by a lot of women in my life who happen to be entrepreneurs. Um, my family has an unusual number of women in it who have started their own businesses or who are, are strong leaders. So from aunts to cousins to my stepmom, um, the, all these women I'm surrounded by who have gone out and done their own thing and we get to get together for family events and we also have people we can talk to about the challenges of running a company growing a company being a mom while you're running and growing a company all those things that ann talked about as well and i i think i really got lucky there because i just had this network that came with me and has been with me since uh, my my earliest days you know, I also have to say, and this is not, you know, not just pandering here, but I have to say that Anne has been an incredible mentor to me. We bring really different perspectives and different talents to Illum. And I find that having someone who rounds me out and who sometimes has a different view and will dig in with me is so valuable. And I, I bring this up because I think a lot of times people feel like a mentor has to be somebody older, wiser, who's been in the industry a long time. It's not just about someone being more experienced than you. Rather, it's about, it's finding that someone who will push you exactly what Anne said, someone who will push you to be better and who, who will be there for you in those moments when you maybe have some doubt or you actually need someone to say, I think you need to think about this in a different way and then support you through that process. The one thing I've learned in the last several years is that mentoring comes from many, many directions. What's your message for those folks who have a, a role in shaping the future? I'll jump in on this and, and then I'll see if Ann wants to jump in as well. But I would say time is not on our side, and I don't mean that to be a downer, but the industry, including stakeholders, has been slow to change and adapt, and we all have to get more nimble. You know, the convergence of energy efficiency, demand response, distributed energy resources is giving customers such greater control and independence and it's going to force the utilities into a new relationship with their customers and you know just with the growth of the internet of things and smart homes and artificial intelligence utilities will have to find a place for themselves in these markets you know timely decisions will be critical for utilities to survive these swift changes and you know we've been thinking a lot about it and i know ann will have more to add so i'm going to let her close us out with her thoughts Thanks, Sarah. I, I do want to underscore what Sarah said, that time is not on our side in this industry. And the ways in which people are looking to deliver energy services are changing so rapidly that we have to keep up. And central to that is really swift and strategic decision making. And within organizations that are as large and as bureaucratic as utilities or regulatory bodies, we can't underscore enough how important it is to maintain focus on effective decision making and developing processes and ways to test and make incremental changes, but quickly and efficiently as, and do it in a way that 
you know, we get to market as fast as possible to deliver all of the services that we need. Because not only do we have the imperative of delivering energy, but we need to do it now against climate mitigation goals and mandates because our our world has changed so much that the the goals of what we're attempting to do to serve our customers is just so radically different, and the imperative is um, there and so immediate. You know, that's a pretty powerful uh, thought to end on. So I really appreciate your time, Sarah and Ann. Thank you very much for being with us.